everyone, and welcome to a festive episode of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. While many are winding down towards a well-earned Christmas break, two members of the ED team are here to the bitter end to bring you a Christmas cracker of a podcast. I'm ED senior reporter Matt Mace, and as well as trying to cram in as many winter and Christmas related puns as possible, the ED team has left a few presents under the Christmas tree for you to unwrap. Firstly, we hear from Costa's charity and community manager, Sandy Gourlay, to discuss developments of the Costa Foundation in its 10th anniversary year. When, if you think 10 years ago, our first ambition was to open a school to enable children to come to school, and now we're finding that lives are changed forever because of the impact of coming to you know, Costa Foundation High School, for instance. So yeah, these are the things that make me incredibly proud of, of what we do and the unique nature of the coffee uh, of our coffee business and how we support the Costa Foundation. Next, we travel to Landsex Community Awards to hear from the company's employment manager, Ed Dean, on corporate employment programmes. Probably our flagship programme amongst our offender programme is uh, the work we've done in Brixton Prison, where we've uh, established a scaffolding academy. And what that's been able to do is, is train and equip candidates inside Brixton Prison with a real kind of viable employment opportunity as they go through the game. So, it's less than a week until Christmas, and what better way to wind down for the festive holidays than by listening to the dulcet tones of myself and EJ reporter George Ogilby. George, how are you? Well, what I can say is it's an absolute pleasure to be here on our last episode of the year. Um, I have got the Christmas spirit, I must say. Um, as a first, I think, ever, I've got all my Christmas shopping done uh, at least a week in advance. Christmas miracle. It really is. Um, I'm going Christmas caroling tonight. Oh, wow. I'm really looking forward to I don't think the people there will be as excited to hear me singing <laughs> as I will be, but I'm very much looking forward to it anyway. And... Uh, yeah, looking forward to the Christmas uh, time. It's going to be an exciting period. Yeah, I, I, I've I've got that festive that festive feeling as well. In fact, I'd like this podcast to be the kind of the whole ED team, you know, round the fire, reflecting on a on a rather busy year. But unfortunately, we are we are still out in the ED offices, looking out on a rather dreary, rainy East Grinstead morning, which I, I feel has been said quite a lot on this podcast um, so far this year, and and also. Edie's former editor and now the new content director, Luke Nichols, he's, he's gone all Scrooge on us and, and has decided to, to make himself absent from this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, in fairness, you know, he, he is on, on annual leave, um, but don't let that get in the way of a narrative that he's, you know, prancing around shopping centres dressed as the Grinch right now, <laughs> trying to put everyone off their uh, festivities. Yeah. Um, but yep, that does leave um, George and myself to, to man the fort and bring you some exclusive content. And well, in fact, it kind of leaves George to bring the exclusive content this week. I, I haven't, I haven't done much in that sense. In fact, both of both of the interviews this week um, have been orchestrated by you, George. So I'm going to let you just just take the reins. So to tell us what's up first, what's the first present we're unwrapping under this. Um, metaphorical Christmas tree. Thank you. I'd enjoy taking the reins pun there, by the way, Matt. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, uh, Christmas is a time for giving, so I thought I'd give uh, some Christmas cheer here. Christmas is a time for family, time for friends, and time mm. for community spirit. Um, so it's important to make sure that we're not Ebenezer Scrooges, but we do give back to communities, whether it's through raising money to local mm-hmm. charities, simply doing Christmas carols. Um, anyway, it's, it's the community theme which we're we're talking about in this episode, which brings us nicely into our first interview with uh, Costa Foundation. Just to give a bit of background to our uh, listeners, the Costa Foundation, it's an independent charity that aims to relieve poverty in coffee-growing communities across the world. So its mission is to improve the life chances of boys and girls in developing countries by providing them with an opportunity for good education. And it does this through various ways, delivering academic uh, solutions, you know, enhancing health, providing good environmental awareness and gender equality. So anyway, I spoke to Sandy Gourlay, as you alluded to earlier. He's the charity and community manager at Costa Coffee um, to discuss some of these remarkable achievements, um, which he will be going through in the next uh, 20 minutes or so. Um, and as you mentioned, it's now in its 10th year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we, we discussed a lot of the achievements that have, have been happening over the last 10 years and also where they want to be going in the next 10 years. Um, he's got some fascinating anecdotes um, 
really quite interesting insight that he provides. Um, so yeah, it's it's a good chat. I'm looking forward to letting you guys listen to it. Uh, just a, a little disclaimer: there is a, a musical interlude uh, Ooh, towards the end. Interesting. Um, and don't worry, it's not me breaking into a, a course of um, fairy tale in New York. Yeah. We wouldn't want to subject you to that. Oh yes, as as am I. So let's get straight into it. Here here is that interview in full. So it's that time of the year again with uh, Christmas just around the corner. Everyone's getting into the festive cheer. And uh, maybe while you're listening to this podcast, having a sip on your uh, smooth, flat white, maybe you should take a time, a bit of time to see, you know, where did your coffee or where did your tea actually come from? Uh, a, a man who would be able to answer that question is sitting with me right now, Sandy Gourlay, who uh, leads Costa's uh, charity and community team. Um, thanks for speaking to me today, Sandy. Um, and thanks very much for the invite, George. Uh, thank you very much. Are you, you in the festive cheer yet? I have. Been known to sport the odd uh, Christmas jumper already this season. Um, and I've got another couple up my sleeve for later on in the, in, as, as we approach Christmas. So, yes, and I've got to admit there is a Christmas tree on our desk in the office. Oh, sounds very good. Yeah, my certainly can't wait to get stuck into my first mince pie, but uh, until then, there's a lot of It's a bit late in December for not to have had your first already. I know, so I feel like don't I've, miss uh, treat. I've been deprived. Yeah. Maybe, it's, mm. hopefully it's just around the corner anyway. Um, so we're here to talk about um, the Cost of Foundation, uh, now in its 10th year. I, I won't give too much away. Maybe it'd be good for you to just give a, an overview of the Foundation, uh, how and uh, where it operates. Sure, and thanks for that opportunity, George. It's you know you rightly say we're in our tenth our tenth birthday year uh, this year with the Costa Foundation launched to the general public in, in two thousand and seven, um, and was was kind of put together really to help engage our teams and, and give us something really meaningful to get behind, and our first step on the journey of sustainability, and uh, as a business we realised that it was crucial to win the hearts and minds of our team members first before we start on any journey because after all why would they want to participate in in new activities like recycling and what have you unless the business was really you know committed and demonstrated that so the foundation was researched and put together at the end of 06 and launched in 2007 as a way to for our teams to be able to give back to the, the, the coffee farming communities that we all rely on for, a, for our day-to-day living as well. Mm. And, and over these 10 years, we've found you know, an, an incredible connection between our people who rely on coffee for a living and go to work every day and work really hard in the coffee sector and, and families that we'll never meet you know, thousands of miles away who go to work and work really hard for a living in the coffee sector, um, and that element, is, I, I think, has been one of the you know the amazing successes that the foundation has had through our own people. That you know, every day we go to work, we have the opportunity to make a difference to somebody else's life, simply by being part of this amazing brand. Um, and so, year by year, the foundation has kind of uh, inspired our teams to to participate in fundraising. It's um, helped the brand um, um, have, have opportunities for cause-related marketing and um, slowly but surely put that message out through our customers. And um, during that period of time, we've moved from you know, raising you know, 40,000 pounds a year to over two million pounds a year that enables us to build schools and help more children from farming communities um, access high quality, life-changing education. Mm. And I'm, in, I'm intrigued to know exactly how it works. I mean, how, you, how do you go about the process of choosing these projects? And, and I suppose you have to work with a range of um, mm. partners. We do. You know, the, the, the Costa Foundation over these 10 years now have projects in 10 different coffee growing countries. Um, we recognise that as a business, we can't necessarily get to the coffee communities where we buy our coffee from. But nonetheless, there is still a huge amount of need in the coffee sector. So fundamentally, the coffee, the, the Costa Foundation is a needs-based organisation, um, and we will only be able to operate on a project where we have um, a, a rock-solid collaboration, and that re- remains where there's, it's a, has to be a coffee community. We have to have 
um, a capable uh, and, and we have to have confidence in a delivery partner that can uh, access that community and deliver the project and we have to make sure that the community are, are brought into this programme as well. It's, it's not just a gift to the community, it's very much about working in partnership with the community. And so we insist of some, part, some form of counterpart contribution from that community, and whether it's the land or, or they provide some of the, the, the workforce, that, you know, the unskilled labour that's required. And by doing that, we have you know, a fantastic um, sense of ownership from that community. The construction committee for every single project is made up of members of that collaboration, whether it's the regional education authority, men and women from within the, the, the community that we're building in, and, and that, that creates a, um, a sense of visibility where everybody knows what each of the collaborating partners are donating and responsible for. So woe betide a a contractor who fails to um, bring in the right quality of materials because everybody in the construction committee knows what to expect mm. and um, you know woe betide the regional education authority if they don't provide for instance the photocopy that they'd committed to doing um, and that visibility helps us really manage um, the governance of each project uh, and then you know increase through through visibility increases um, the, the, you know, the chances of success and that construction committee after completion of the project, then become the school administration committee. Something slightly even stronger than your, your average PTA mm. is very much about the ongoing administration and the ongoing commitment from that community to that school project and its ongoing um, sustainable success. Mm. Tell me through the, the funding of the uh, foundation. I suppose it will require direct support from, um, from Whitbread, I suppose. Yes, I mean... You, building 10 schools a year is, is a, a, for me as a supporter, it's a fantastic achievement, but that those revenues are, are hard, hard fought. So we have some very generous donations from profits, uh, both Whitbread and Costa contribute from profits each year, and that um, helps us with, with a kind of match funding element from our team members fundraising. It, it also helps make sure that uh, all of the administrative and running costs of the charity are covered from um, corporate donations by the business. It also means um, that we also have on top of that in-kind donations, whether it's our volunteer time, our, our, our uh, incredible network of, of charity champions who are effectively our fundraising managers, all working voluntarily over and above their day jobs our team in marketing, our volunteers in the finance team that are helping make sure that the, the admin of the, 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 this international charity is properly delivered. So that's a big chunk of a donation from Whitbread and Costa. Uh, we raise a lot of money through uh, our team members and from our customers fundraising in store. Uh, just some, some can be very simple activities that um, you know, give us the opportunity to engage our passing customers. And also, you know, fantastic challenge and um, sponsorship events that our team members are out there putting their, their kind of heart and soul into fundraising, whether it's the hundreds of people now who have achieved the Three Peaks Challenge. Um, we had uh, several hundred people doing a 10 kilometre walk to school um, this summer, um, recognising that 10 kilometres is, is, is broadly how, how far some children have to walk backwards and forwards on a day before we can build a school there. Um, and then Costa very generously um, kind of have a margin sacrifice that we have course related products uh, that uh, help generate funds for the Costa Foundation that our business bypass um, that profit margin uh, and donate that to the Costa Foundation. So if you're out there in the store next week and you happen to see one of our um, really sexy stainless steel travel cups, you know, that those cups are helping fund the Costa Foundation. Those little biscuit packs that you find at the, the counterpoint, they're helping fund the foundation. And those two products over the last 10 years have helped us build 25 schools. Mm. So there's some significant volumes coming back uh, through our course related products. And then every now and again, we'll run a, pro, uh, you know, a promo. Um, recently we had our um, soft baked cookies Last Christmas we had a, a beautiful shimmer cake 
and these were supporting the charity as well. So every now and again we're able to do these sorts of things in collaboration uh, with the business and uh, with our suppliers. And those are all the sort of mechanisms that we use to, to generate funds to help us support the Costa Foundation in building more schools every year. Mm. And yeah, fantastic work over the last 10 years uh, building schools across the globe. I'm interested to know what happens once these schools have been built, how do you ensure the long-term sustainability of these products? Well, that's that's down to the the nature of our collaboration. That we will not be able to we will not build a school unless uh, there's a rock solid signed contract with the local regional education authority and the local community. Mm. Uh, the Costa Foundation are the principal capital investor, so they're you know we're helping create these amazing boxes all around the world. You know, these are simple school buildings. Um, but inside them, amazing things happen. Um, and it's through that commitment from the Regional Education Authority that we will build the building and they will take on responsibility for funding the school teachers, the textbooks, um, and the ongoing costs of running. Uh, and it's through that relationship that sustainability is built in. Um, and then we maintain our relationship. We have a monitoring and evaluation program that ensures that we are keeping a line of sight to those store, uh, schools. Uh, visiting uh, on, a, on a frequent basis where our trustees come over to open a new school and then do you know, a handful of other school visits. Um, so that program is ongoing. But the monitoring evaluation program helps us um, see when schools are coming towards capacity, it helps us monitor the ratio of male and female students, are the, classroom, you know, are the classrooms full, are the classrooms empty, are our teachers having continuous professional development time attached? And so across the you know, across the world on three different continents we're able to we have visibility to our um, I suppose our portfolio or, or the schools that we've helped create and, and enable uh, to continue delivering great education in their in their own countries mm. um, when I was doing a bit of research I was um, intrigued to see that you know the support that you provide to these communities sometimes these communities may not even be sourcing um, uh, coffee uh, for Costa, so uh, that that for me shows how this is right uh, at the forefront of um, sustainability values. I mean, it, it, makes, it must make your job a lot easier when you know you've got the whole of the company behind you. It does. Um, you know, in any population, there's always going to be some naysayers, and and you know, within thousands of people at Costa, there some would say, you know, community starts at home. But we also have a very robust local community program that we're supporting and enabling our teams to deliver you know, um, support to many, many hundreds of, of different local community groups in the UK. But the, the Costa Foundation, it is fantastic that so many people behind it. Um, in every area of our business, we've got charity champions who are engaging their customers, their team members, and, and influencing you know, increased levels of, uh, of engagement and increased levels of of fundraising and that knock-on effect is that we are able to to reach out to um, extremely remote communities. Mm -hmm. um, I was recently in Ethiopia and had the privilege of, of, of going to meet a community where we hope to be completing a project over the next uh, 18 months and I was later told that I was the first white person to ever visit that community that these these are communities that are so distant and remote from um, modern society. And so being able to bring quality education through helping you know, deliver fantastic infrastructure that then leads to improved quality of attainment. You know, no great teachers are going to want to work in a poor quality school. And so by investing in infrastructure, we're able to attract high quality teachers supported by regional government um, that without exception are delivering you know above um, above regional um, results mm. um, so that element of being able to to work in a great school is 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 helping us um, first of all reach more children who who wouldn't have been coming to school their their parents probably weren't aware that it's something they should be doing or they haven't been able to see the perceived value of sending their children to school um, but with high quality infrastructure you start to see that change in, in those local communities saying, well, actually, the, the place where my children is in this great little school that we've just seen built for us. Mm -hmm.
mm-hmm. and the, the fact that we're, we're not necessarily um, building in areas where we procure coffee means that this isn't a contractual relationship this is you could say arguably it's just very very philanthropic but it is it is about ex- accepting the fact that as a big company we buy our coffee in certain ways we, we buy every single coffee bean from the Rainforest Alliance certified farm some of those you know we are supporting through the foundation but the majority of it is that more coffee in the world is not certified it's not from a sustainably produced certification program and so the need is there and would it be wrong of us to not support those people in the most need just because their coffee may not have the same flavour profile that we buy or it may not be of the right quality that we buy and so coffee farmers around the world um, are benefiting from the work of the Costa Foundation um, because we are brothers and sisters in the coffee industry I guess Mm. Um, so yeah I get a great great deal of satisfaction from knowing that we are working in this way um, in a non-contractual you know style um, and there's no onus on those communities to to have to feel obliged to sell their coffee to Costa mm. um, and so that that gives me you know working in the field of sustainability the fact that you know we're doing something over and above uh, our commitment to buying sustainably produced coffee and giving something back to the the farming sector mm. Mm. and I mean you've touched upon it this uh, sort of work requires the support from the whole of the business you know not just your own sustainability team but the, uh, the entire workforce I mean how important is it do you think to have an engaged workforce you know to I mean this must work wonders for staff morale uh, all these fundraising efforts and I mean it must have a, a positive effect on work performance and things like that it certainly does, George. We, we're very proud of, of industry-leading high levels of engagement in our business. And um, whilst I can't claim that all of that comes from um, these sorts of activities, um, the journey that I've seen our business go through over the last sort of 10, 10 plus years has seen um, our team retention um, increase exponentially. Uh, the uh, the number of levers as a percentage of our total workforce has decreased um, by over a hundred percent in in, so, uh, in just over twelve years, and our active work on creating engagement opportunities for our team, uh, where the foundation and fundraising and participating in local community have been a fundamental part of that, and so therefore. You know, from an HR perspective, we see an incredible business value in that high level of engagement. From an operational perspective, we see, you know, obviously highly engaged teams are more productive um, in, in any business sector. Uh, and if you want to put it in those kind of commercial terms, yes, I, I firmly believe that the participation in fundraising and supporting the Costa Foundation has driven some of these, these business metrics. Mm. Um, having fun at work. You know, who, who could knock that? Mm. You know, team members who are happy because they feel proud that they're doing something meaningful every day they go to work has a definite knock-on effect to, to our customers. We have done some research recently which shows where we've got highly engaged team members, particularly around our charity and community sector, is driving higher than average areas um, in our kind of customer satisfaction net promoter scores. So there's an inexplicable link between you know, teams that are highly engaged, particularly in this area of charity and community, driving you know, better quality customers' interactions. Mm. And just on that point in terms of um, how this uh, impacts on the, the service that you provide, or I suppose how customers are involved in, in this uh, work, I mean, this must set you above your competitors in, in the sense that uh, customers would be more willing to buy products from you because they know that you do all this uh, all this work in the corporate social responsibility uh, sphere. I would never want to think that a customer feels obliged to come to you know any of our stores because we do this work. Um, you know, I, I'm delighted to be here talking about it today because it is one of our best kept secrets. It's not something that we've ever used above the line to to market our business and 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 have as a brand differential. Um, we do it because we, we genuinely care about this area mm. and it's something that our people um, really care about. Yes, I think we are 
head and shoulders, but that's just my personal belief. Mm. And, you know, across the coffee sector, businesses are doing amazing things. You know, um, you only have to visit, you know, UK Coffee Week here in London to be able to see some of the fantastic things that are happening in the coffee sector. And, you know, big brands have big responsibilities. And I'm pleased to say that big brands have got bigger pockets. Um, and so, you know, there's some great stuff going on. The Costa Foundation in itself is unique in the coffee sector. So definitely, I'm very, very proud of what we do uh, by having a direct impact um, in those farming communities. I've seen firsthand um, in both Ethiopia and in Vietnam, where we buy quite a lot of coffee, um, the impact of having those schools can have on those farming families. First, it's obvious the impact it has on the children. Um, but the, the further reaching implications of those children, you know, becoming the next generation of farming families, becoming the next generation of, of citizens, the knock-on effect is incredible. Mm. Um, so first you see uh, children attaining better results at school and one of the features of Costa Foundation schools is the extracurricular activities that all of the schools in all of the countries around the world uh, participate in. And these are the sort of activities that then lead to, to social change. Um, the health awareness programs that we have in Ethiopia that drive greater understanding of HIV and AIDS. Mm. Some of the schools that we've got there have been able to create their own outreach programs. Their young people are going out into the communities where not everybody's had the chance of an education. And they're sharing that information with their peers and with older, you know, some of the older families there to help them understand you know, how to protect themselves against HIV and AIDS. And some of that, those fundamental outreach programs are, over the years, we've seen, you know, a significant decrease in incidence of HIV and AIDS in those communities, directly linked to the outreach programs that our schools have been able to deliver. In other communities, we've seen um, a, a, the change through our gender awareness clubs, um, we've seen the, the, the cessation of forced child marriage. You know, in, in, in many of the communities we operate in now, we know for fact through our connections with the district administration that child marriage has been stopped and that village elders and, and regional and district administration insist that all girls go to school and will not be eligible for marriage until they're matured. You know, these are some of the, you know, the incredible social impacts that the foundation schools are having and, and some of the things that we're absolutely um, delighted about. Um, when, if you think 10 years ago, our first ambition was to open a school to enable children to come to school. And now we're finding that lives are changed forever because of the impact of coming to, you know, Costa Foundation High School, for instance. Um, so, yeah, these are the things that make me incredibly proud of, of what we do and the unique nature of the coffee, uh, of our coffee business and how we support the Costa Foundation. Mm. But let, let's not, you know, let's not forget that there's amazing things happening across many other businesses too. Mm, mm, definitely. So yeah, you've, I mean, you've just alluded to some of the amazing work that the foundation is doing in terms of driving social impact over the last ten years. So I suppose we've had the first ten years. Now we're looking forward to the future. Where do you see uh, the foundation going? I know you've got these commitments in place to um, raise. Uh, Twenty million pounds by uh, twenty twenty one. That's right. We, we we aim to help the foundation uh, build a hundred schools by twenty twenty and then onwards. And you know, whilst we know that the the, the thousands of, of of little chairs and tables that we've got in schools around the world have helped over sixty thousand children have access to school. Uh, we want to make sure that that number is over a hundred thousand by the time we get to twenty twenty. And, and part of our future plan is to look at how um, the school system itself can, can extend. And so some of the projects that we're looking at completing uh, in Ethiopia and Uganda now are taking high school education to the next level, um, the equivalent of um, a sixth form facility, enabling high school children to attain another two years worth of education that leads them on to further education. Um, so that's part of the strategy of the, of, of, the, of the foundation now, to invest in the schools that we've already built to expand. Uh, in Ethiopia it's known as preparatory school that enables you to either go to vocational college or onto local university. 
And so where we have clusters of Costa Foundation schools, high schools, that's, that's our ambition for the future. Um, so that high school children don't fall off a cliff when, you know, uh, not, not a literal cliff, but they, they don't fall off that education cliff when they've finished their high school and find that they are miles and miles away from any other sixth form or prep school. Um, and therefore that's the end of their education, which may have been the case with their, their, their parents. Um, so you know, that's part of our strategy. But the 10 countries that we're currently working in, um, we've just started working with an, an amazing partner in, in Zambia. Um, that's our first project nearing completion now, so there's a lot of work still to do there. And the work that we have been doing in Uganda and Zambia with PEAS, which is a London-based um, education organisation but committed to those two countries, is starting to see how you know, the, the governments are looking at funding models differently as well. And both Uganda and Zambia, we're working with PEAS that are helping um, uh, drive uh, those education models in a direction that enables all children to access education, high school education. Um, so the future of the, the foundation is, 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 is becoming uh, more strategic in, in leveraging um, our places to uh, impact on, on, on education. And equally, it is about helping deliver that high quality of education and that social change in those countries that's where the need is still highest. And so we will continue um, to build in Ethiopia. We will continue to invest highly in the very rural and remote communities um, all around the, the coffee, coffee belt, um, reaching out in Peru and Nicaragua and Honduras and Guatemala to, to find those communities where they live and breathe coffee, but miss out on some of the things that we take for granted every day. You know, being able to send your children to school, um, where we know those children and those families see education as a privilege, rather than, I guess, having, having had two children go through the education system, and I know how they feel about it, it's a bit of a chore. I wouldn't say that they ever seen education as a privilege. And so that's one of the remarkable things that I see when I've met farming families and see how they, 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 they treat going to school as an absolute honour and, and they really value that opportunity and you know, we've seen you know, many, many children really commit to, to making a massive difference seeing as they've had that gift of learning uh, and, and be able to kind of pay it forward in some way. Mm. And, and these are the sort of incredible things that we see when we build these schools. Um, you know, it's not necessarily our intention to see these outreach programmes, uh, but what we see is when we build these boxes, amazing things happen once you've inspired a community to, to, to do good. Mm. Uh, it just carries forward. So. Uh, well, I mean, thanks very much for uh, enlightening us about some of the truly remarkable work, work that's been done in your uh, outreach programme. We look forward to seeing uh, how this progresses in the next few years. Thought we'd uh, end on a on a light note. Um, so I wanted to. Um, I've got a little prop here. We're gonna, uh -huh. um, I wanted to uh, play you a little uh, snippet from uh, from something that I I, I stumbled upon earlier. Um, so the work that you've been doing has actually inspired one of your customers um, to write and perform a song about uh, the Costa Foundation and the work that it's doing. So uh, maybe we should have a little uh, listen to Please that. Please do. It's been a little while since I, I heard Roger's song. When you get your cup of coffee from your Costa store Have you ever wondered what you're paying for? A lovely cappuccino and a smooth flat white But a lot of what Costa does is out of sight They've got projects in Uganda, Nicaragua and Peru Costa Rica and Colombia, Guatemala too They're working in Honduras, Vietnam and Ethiopia Building schools, improving lives and bringing new hope to you Families learn together in their local schools They learn to read, they learn to write, they're given the tools Girls and boys together who used to live in strife Are laying the foundations for a better life So next time you get your coffee from your Costa store Maybe you could think about giving a little more 
Support the folk who grow the beans so you can have a treat. We're helping communities to stand on their own two feet. We've got projects in Uganda, Nicaragua and Peru, Costa Rica and Colombia, Guatemala too. We're working in Honduras, Vietnam and Ethiopia, building schools, improving lives and bringing brand new hope to you. Yeah, the Costa Foundation is changing lives. The Costa Foundation is changing lives. Yeah, the Costa Foundation is changing lives. One school at a time. I said one school at a time. I said one school at a time. Well, there you have it. What a wonderful yeah, rendition. Yeah, I went chocolate on it. <laughs> Catches you out every time. It certainly does. What are your thoughts on that, Sandy? Do you reckon we get that to number one at Christmas? Oh, I think we'll have to run that past Roger and see if we can add a few jingle bells to it and uh, you know and, and bell chimes. But uh, yeah, I think it's got high potential for a Christmas number one. Um, I think we might have left it a little bit too late for Christmas seventeen. So uh, maybe you can help us put a campaign together for Christmas eighteen to to get the Costa Foundation charity single out there and compete with X Factor. There we go, guys. You heard it here first. There's your uh, Christmas 2018 number one. Um, I think that about wraps it up. But I mean, if that hasn't got you in the uh, the Christmas spirit, then I don't know what will. So again, thank you very much for your time, Sandy. It's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure's mine, George. Thank you very much. Well, George, like you said, Christmas is, is all about giving and, and giving back to the community. So it's great to see, you know, Costa are, are working hard to provide these benefits, especially um, in, in kind of developing countries mm. as well, which is where a lot of their supply chains mm. are based um, and in that Christmas spirit I have managed to nab a Christmas cracker from, from under my Christmas tree at home um, there's no Christmas meal or anything for it literally it's just one cracker so there will there will be it's a winner's take all scenario right now winner gets the privilege of, of reading out it might not even have a joke in it I'm not entirely sure it looks quite fancy it does like Waitrose Essential probably you know if we splash out at home um, other brands are available of course um, so Let's, yeah, in the spirit of Christmas, winner gets to read out the joke, should we say? Oh, okay then. Yeah, let's Ooh, do this. I'm never very good at these. Ah. And on this occasion, that proves to be yeah. the case again. I've, I've gone and done it. I'm not going to put the, the hat on because it's for the benefit of no one. Um, toy, if anyone was wondering, is a yo-yo. Um, I'll probably rewrap that and give that to my nephew for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> let's hope he's not listening. Okay, so, ready for this joke? What do snowmen eat for breakfast? I've heard this one so many times already. I don't know, Matthew. What do they eat? They eat snowflakes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, a nice little Christmas quote as well to inspire the listeners at home. Um, I will honour Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. That's from Charles Dickens. How profound. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there we go. We've opened our Christmas cracker, but there is still one more present to be unwrapped under under said metaphorical Christmas tree. Again, George, we're we're going back to you here. So why don't you tell um, the listeners what you've been up to with Landset? Sure. So this second interview again showcases another organisation undergoing some fantastic uh, community work. Um, so through its community employment scheme. Uh, commercial property developer Landsec is supporting disadvantaged people by providing training, work placements and a direct route into job. So since 2011, um, Landsec's helped more than a thousand people into work, including you know, ex-offenders, veterans, individuals who were previously homeless. Um, so I caught up with Ed Dean, who is the employment manager at Land Securities, mm-hmm. Landsec now is it called, <laughs> yeah. Um, to speak at their Community Employment Awards, which uh, are a celebration of um, some of the achievements that these people um, have had over the last year or so. Okay, brilliant. Um, Award ceremonies are always interesting Mm. ones to attend. So, um, yeah, let's get straight on with it to two very strong back-to-back interviews all about community engagement. So here's that interview in full. Right, Ed, thank you for inviting us along today. Maybe you could just start by telling us how the uh, Employment Programme Scheme works and uh, how it fits into your wider sustainability strategy. Sure, no problem. Well, delighted to be here. Um, Landsec has now delivered our Community Employment Programme for the last six years and every year we host our Community Employment Awards. Uh, And this year is a special year for us because we're celebrating supporting 1,000 candidates back into employment. 
So we started the programme six years ago, um, and we are now yeah, really moved it on from a, a London programme to really roll out across our, our retail portfolio. So we encompass Portsmouth, Oxford, uh, so Gummel Keys in Portsmouth, uh, Westgate in Oxford, and right up to Trinity in Leeds. So it's a real showcase event for us. Really, really want to celebrate the success of the candidates that have come through the mm. programme. Yeah, well, it might be helpful, I guess, if uh, to a bit about the programme. Um, our community employment programme uh, really aims to support more disadvantaged candidates back into employment. So we reach out to people that were perhaps previously homeless, long-term unemployed, uh, ex-offenders, and actually serving prisoners as well. So probably our flagship programme amongst our offender programme is uh, the work we've done in Brixton Prison, where we uh, established a scaffolding academy and what that's been able to do is, is train and equip candidates inside Brixton Prison with a real kind of viable employment opportunity as they go through the game. Uh, alongside that, we've now moved into another prison in South East London, which is ISIS Prison, uh, and we've set up a hospitality academy in partnership with Hilton, where we're working with candidates again inside the prison with a view that they can progress directly into employment on release. So, I mean, it's clear that this programme has had great success. The um, scheme's now been rolled out nationally. Um, you mentioned like, the direct uh, employment benefits for people from disadvantaged communities. Maybe you could uh, touch upon the, the business case in terms of you know, producing higher productivity or in increasing diversity within the workplace. That's entirely a commercial and business case for doing this. The reason we actually started the programme was to address a real skill shortage, uh, firstly in construction in London. In 2011, we were in, in the throes of working on our Nova, New Ludgate and New Street Square scheme with thousands and thousands of colleagues working on site. We were, able, we were told by industry, by our principal contractors, that they were in dire need of new blood into the industry. So there was a direct business benefit for us in order to equip candidates with the right skills. Uh, I guess a good example of that was our other programme in Brixton Prison, which is a, a dry lining academy. So we were you know, told by industry that there was a, a real skill shortage in this area. We've been able to actually directly impact on that as mm. well. Mm. And obviously to get this working, you need you know the support from the board. Uh, I, I noticed that Landsec chief exec said how it, he's personally been powerfully affected uh, by the individuals and the, and the project. Um, has it has it been easy to get um, that that boardroom buy-in? A hundred percent easy. I mean, you know, we have a business KPI, so this directly has an impact on remuneration, and I think that's been quite a powerful tool for us to really embed across our business. Mm -hmm. So not only has Rob directly seen some of the impacts, not only uh, attending our awards and seeing some of the candidates, but is always interested, uh, very passionate about affecting the communities in which we operate. So mm -hmm. I think yes, I think it's been very powerful for us. And while Landsec seems to be leading the way in this respect, it seems like there seems to be other companies who may not be uh, realising the potential of, of some of the people that you are helping to provide um, employment for. So, I mean, how, how do you think we can close that understanding gap between, you know, the boardroom level and, you know, local communities? Well, I think, actually, we, we're now able to, you know, have a seat at the table at some kind of quite senior government uh, at level, really driving our own industry. And I think being a FTSE 100 in the property sector, that's where, you know, I think we can really start as, as an organisation. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we're now sitting on uh, some quite senior level boards talking about kind of inclusive economy. And I think that's probably the start, the start for us. Mm -hmm. And... Um uh, a large part of this is helping you know, um, people from uh, prison, you know, making sure that they don't reoffend. Uh, I saw an interesting statistic that more than half of employers wouldn't consider hiring reoffenders. Um, do you think there's a culture of change that you know needs? Well, do we need a culture of change uh, to ensure qualified applicants uh, with criminal records can be treated fairly? I think 
we are moving absolutely in the right direction and I think Landsec in its own small way has really been able to support that and drive that, mm. working with not only our principal contractors within construction, but now more and more with our service partners and other supply chains. I think we're really going in the right direction in that. And I think the actual impact that it has not only on the candidate and their respective families, but actually on the taxpayer, you know, saving the taxpayer quite a large amount of money, keeping that candidate in employment as opposed to in prison. Okay. And lastly, so you've, you've rolled the scheme out nationwide, we've got the awards today, where does this programme go next? I think now that we have the buy-in right up to senior board level, uh, they won't be comfortable with a corporate commitment and I think we'll be getting really pushed to, to drive this programme, not only uh, nationally but I think right across uh, the, the property industry and I think we and said we'll you know, try and play as part in doing that as well. Excellent. Well, thanks very much again for inviting us today. We look forward to seeing uh, all the successful candidates and it really is a great scheme. So thank you very much. Thanks for being here. Yeah, so it was, it was uh, very interesting to have that chat with Ed. <coughs> I think <coughs> over the course of these two um, chats that I've had, it's been good to see um, the, the various benefits that community aspects can bring to so, uh, corporate social responsibility because mm. I, I don't know about you but I feel like it's the neglected area the neglected aspect of um, sustainability but speaking to both these people it's it's clear that you know you've obviously got the help that it brings to the people the services that it's providing mm. to disadvantaged communities but there's also the aspect of you know engagement with customers and uh, em employees um, it's like strengthening the workforce by bringing that sense of purpose um, and that engagement then in turn brings you know recruitment retention uh, and and at the end of the day has a great business value so here's the community spirit yeah no completely agree yeah, like, like you said it can often seem I, I think amongst the wider realm of sustainability and corporate responsibility a, a bit fluffy perhaps mm. um, but when you think about the the stories and anecdotes you can gain from it you know there's a real human nature to, to these stories so they definitely have their place in a as Landsec and Costa have proved today they, they definitely serve a, a good purpose um, so nice little reflective thing to, to pretty much well I, I, it's not quite brought this episode to a close um, but it is almost time that we, we kind of wrap up for, for the day, wrap up for 2018. Um, you know, this will be the, the last time we're in the in the office, I think, until till January. So, you know, I'm trying to hide the excitement in my voice, but I'm very excited about that. Um, with that in mind, we've spent the last few weeks, um, well, the last week, reminiscing on kind of new stories, innovations. I mean, you can probably tell that from our site. It's just it's kind of littered with, with these kind of big roundups. Um, I've, I've actually been on annual leave for the last two days. Um, so I haven't been keeping tabs too much on what's been going on on the site, but my phone has been buzzing away um, on Twitter notifications in general regarding a certain um, big fat sustainability quiz of the year. George, mm. care to enlighten me on this? Yes, Matt. So um, I've been eagerly beavering away over the mm -hmm. last week or so in uh, EDHQ, um, compiling ED's big fat sustainability quiz of the year. Um, so this quiz, uh, compiles a range of things from you know major policy decisions that we've had, major green investments, mm. and huge sustainability achievements uh, from various businesses, both large and small. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought it'd be nice. Uh, I've put this quiz up, by the way, for all our listeners. It's on the website. You can all free to um, take part in it. See if you are uh, a sustainability hero or if you are. Not sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> less, less strong words there. <laughs> um, but I thought it would be nice, uh, now that we're both in the office, uh, maybe to test your uh, oh, skills. Um, yeah, put me on the spot there. I, I, I feel like this this could be quite damaging for my uh, for my character if I get this wrong. But yeah, sure, sure. I, I reckon I can, I can answer a few questions. Okay, well let's give it a go. Okay. So, um, question number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping you might be able to write, provide the answer because you did write the article. Brilliant. Okay, no <laughs> pressure at all. Right. Okay. Question number one is, by which date in 2017 had humanity used up its entire annual budget of planetary resources such as water, soil and clean air, known as Earth Overshoot Day? 
Oh, and I can give you four choices if you would like. Yeah, oh, if, if I get this wrong, we'll probably just re-edit this till I get it right. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah, four choices would be nice. I have a vague... I know this summer, but... Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, you're right. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give you the four choices. Uh, you've got 5th of March. No, that's not it. 23rd of November. That's not it. 13th of June. Okay. Or the 2nd of August. Uh, 2nd of August is the right answer. Ding! Yeah, yeah. I do remember writing that, that article. It was like four days earlier than the year prior, I think, as well. So, mm. nice and alarming. Yeah, it certainly is. It's... Uh... It's not something to be proud of, <laughs> no. say, but um, yeah, it's it's something that we should all be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, question number two. Okay. Um, so our, our man Elon Musk has been very busy this year. He's been, uh, uh, while he's not been uh, unveiling largest uh, gigafactory in the world yep. or helping South Australia with <laughs> their electricity woes, yep. Yeah, Tesla have been unveiling new models. We've had the um, Tesla Model 3 mm-hmm. launch. Uh, that was in start uh, middle of the year. That I think they've um, marketed that as uh, one of the most, uh, you know, low-cost electric vehicles yeah, to definitely. the market. Um, we'll see how that one turns out. Uh, but towards the end of the year, there was a double launch of a... a an HGV and uh, the new edition of the Roadster, which okay. is the um, Tesla supercar. Yes. So my question for you, Matthew, is um, Tesla has launched its Roadster. How long does it take the supercar to go from 0 to 60 miles an hour? <sighs> wow. <laughs> um, Again, there's four options. Yeah, I'll take those four options. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You have A, 1.8 seconds. Okay. Two. A B, 2.8 seconds. C, 0.8 seconds. Or D, 3.8 seconds. Um, I feel like it's going to be the, the, the bigger two of those numbers. I, I, I don't know much about car speeds and... Uh, I know, I know it takes my car like two, 2.8 minutes to, to get up to that kind of speed. <laughs> so um, turn on. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> defrost, the, defrost the windscreen and stuff. Uh, I'll go 2.8 seconds. Uh-uh. Ah. The correct answer is in fact 1.8 seconds, wow. which will in fact make it the world's fastest car. That's, yeah, that's pretty nifty. So yeah. there you have it. Okay. Electric and super speedy. You weren't expecting that, were you? That is, yeah, that's, that's well, it's rapid, isn't it? Now, you didn't get the last answer right. I'm hoping you might fare better in this last question. Oh, it's all on. I've got, to, I've got to finish with a kind of positive score, haven't I? So, Definitely. Okay. And here is a question. The answer is one which is very close to your heart, so I'm hoping for success. Mm-hmm. Question three, last final answer. Which... Football stadium mm-hmm. has become the first in the Premier League to be powered by 100% renewable uh, energy. Okay. I'm guessing you won't need <laughs> no, yeah, I, options for this one. I, I, not only did I write this article, but it's about the team I support. So that is, of course, the Emirates Stadium, Arsenal FC's uh, home ground. Certainly is. Yep, uh, the Gunners have signed up to uh, a deal with Octopus Energy, agreeing to power the Emirates Stadium using renewable energy generated across an array of solar farms. So there you have it. There you go. It'd be nice for them to stick the heaters on when you go up to Huddersfield in a midweek game, but that's fair enough. Um, Okay. Well, yeah, and, you know, any listeners, head over to that quiz right now because you already have three of the answers. You're, you know, you're three tenths of the way there to become a sustainability hero. Um, But don't go there just yet because we still have a a couple more things we want to tick off um, for 2018. Of course, two regular features on this podcast um, are George's news story of the week slash year in this episode and my innovation of the year. Um, because I'm quite egotistical, I want the listeners to hear from me last. Mm-hmm. The last thing they hear of 2018 is of me. So, so George, um, on our site right now is, is a list of the biggest stories of, of 2017 that we think had, had the kind of most profound impact on sustainability professionals. Um out of that list, what one what one do you think resonated most with you? Would you class as the biggest of the year? Mm. So, I mean, yeah, we've got a list of 10 um, sustainability stories here. I'm just going through them now, and there's some excellent stories here. You've got uh, Costa Coffee's National Cup Recycling Scheme with mm-hmm. Veolia. 
Um, obviously, coffee cup conundrums huge in the spotlight at the moment. Um, so that was that was a big story for me. You've got IKEA offering home energy systems alongside solar panels, bringing you know energy storage yeah. to household customers. But you know what? I thought I didn't want to choose a corporate sustainability story. I didn't want to be crude and pick one out. Mm-hmm. So what I've gone for is an alternative view, maybe a bit controversial at this time of year. I thought um, people who won't be receiving much love at Christmas, um, and that's politicians. Okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I'm sort of ringing the bell for the uh, much derided MPs. Um, but if you, I mean, I think there's a state sustainability story to be told here because if you cast your mind back to the start of 2017, it was all doom and gloom. Yeah, very much so. Um, everyone was asking, where are these pieces of legislation we're expecting? Mm-hmm. Where's this air quality plan? Where's the clean growth strategy? Where's the industrial strategy? Well, now we have them all. Yeah. Um, and they may not be to everyone's liking, but at least they do provide a, a blueprint mm-hmm. for a low-carbon future. So I feel like we've built a platform there, and it's something to build upon. Um, perhaps one of the biggest surprises over the last uh, six months or so has been the assiduous work carried out by a certain uh, DEFRA secretary. Yes, yes, more, most definitely surprising, that one, yeah. Um, who's gone from uh, a shy green to a sort of full-throated environmentalists uh, in his uh, short tenure. So yeah, Michael Gove has really surprised people with how, you know, he's taken this role on as Deputy Secretary. And in this short few months, there's been numerous uh, achievements from like a ban on bee-harming pesticides. You've got the consultation on plastic um, bottle deposit return schemes. And of course, uh, perhaps the most important of all is the um, promise of a new independent watchdog mm, yeah. for um, post-Brexit uh, environmental legislation. Um, so, I mean, you've got that aspect of uh, green policy, which seems to be now in good hands. Mm. Um, now that we've got these environmental pieces of legislation, I feel like we we've got um, good benchmark, and we've also had the you know the triumphs of the lowest cost of uh, offshore wind, uh, the so uh, the subsidy subsidy free solar farm, which was lo- mm. uh, launched earlier this year, and this is down to I feel uh, strong government leadership uh, in terms of providing the clear <laughs> signals to investment um, and providing the opportunities to low carbon transition. Um, so there you have it. Perhaps not the most popular decision, but that is my sustainability story of the year. No, I think it's I think it's a good one. Um, yeah, I think it's quite easy to, especially after after the year that twenty sixteen was in regards to, to political uncertainty. Mm. It is quite easy to forget how far the UK has come in terms of a leadership role on areas like this. Mm. And I suppose twenty fifteen and 2016 with the subsidy cuts the FITs and then Brexit mm. uncertainty has cast that doubt so yeah I think it was um, very much a step in the right direction obviously we got the 25 year plan coming hopefully January Yeah. so uh, again that's another step in the in the right direction so yeah very good to hear and so all that leaves to wrap up this episode is um, the innovation of the year and I haven't actually picked this one um we we published the article earlier this week up on the up on the site and through the power of technology we've given our readers the chance to vote for um out of the 10 innovations which one they feel is the best essentially the one that serves the the biggest purpose it's gone from uber's flying taxis which were not very well loved at all um mm-hmm. on, on the voting system all the way through to um you know devices that allow you to charge evs from um lampposts mm-hmm. Um, but the um, as of 10 a.m. this morning, hmm. the the people have spoken. This is obviously subject to change. Um, but the 2017 innovation of the year is the C-bin. Um, now, the C-bin is a device that's been trialled by Land Rover Bar near their headquarters, um, and it is essentially a device that kind of floats around waters. It's, it's kind of good for harbour use, that kind of stuff. Mm. Not not kind of deep ocean. Um, use, but it, it sucks up pollutants and, and waste in the water and, and funnels out clean water as a result. Over the course of a year, a single sea bin bag can collect 20,000 plastic bottles or more than 80,000 plastic bags. Um, I do wonder whether that innovation won because it's coming off the back of what has been a wildly successful Blue Planet 2 mm. campaign. I haven't say campaign, but certainly you know awareness raising of, sure. of the issues that plastics have in the ocean. You know, we work in this industry daily. We, and as many of our readers are, know 
those type of facts inside out, you know, more plastic um, by weight than fish in the oceans by 2050 mm. is, is one that gets banded around a lot. But I imagine for the wider public, probably not many people know that. Mm. Um, so I, I think that's probably why it's been um, been voted as the best. It's come off of that kind of campaign. But, you know, plastics have been a real contentious topic this year. Um, as shown by our, our webinar we, sh we ran early in the year, kind mm. of our most viewed webinar, and no doubt it will continue to be so as well. Mm. But, um, you know, the CBIN is is a, a real simple waste collection system, essentially. And, you know, it collects those resources, which can then be disposed of correctly, can be recycled. It's, it's part of that, you know, resource um, efficient and circular economy that we need. So, like I said, as of 10 a.m., that is the innovation of the year. Um, so that just about brings this podcast episode to an end. Um, I'll add our common reminder that these episodes can be accessed via the ED website, um, but can also be subscribed to on iTunes. We also really do appreciate your feedback. So if there's any topics that you feel should be discussed, or perhaps any individuals you want to hear on, on these episodes or for our special Green Room episodes, please do get in touch, ideally at the podcast at fav-house.com email address to let us know. Um, so just to say goodbye, George, you're going to sing a Christmas carol out for out for the audience, I believe. Is that um, right? Oh. I would do, but I've just got a bit of a sore throat. Uh, I, I don't okay. want to do yeah. it tonight. Fair enough. We probably face some sort of copyright issues with that as well. But okay. Um, well, in that case, it's a goodbye from George. Goodbye. And a goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>